You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. How's everybody doing? Yeah, good. Awesome. All right, who, who truly is cold right now? Like, who are, who are my cold people? All right. Anybody break out the winter jackets today? Who broke out your winter jacket? Ladies, who's got the Uggs on? Come on. I was so boycotting breaking out my winter jacket this morning, so I just put on, like, three sweaters. Because um, I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be one of those Floridians that breaks out his winter jacket um, when it drops below my age. All right, so... Uh, how, uh, how do you make decisions? I want you to think about this. How do you make decisions? Do you make decisions uh, with your head or with your heart, with your, with your thoughts and, and what you're thinking and logic or what you're feeling? So I, I want to see, I want to I get to know our people. Uh, if you're a, a head thinker, uh, is that, if that's how you make your decisions, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right, good. All right, and then if you're a feeler, if you're a heart person and you make decisions, raise your hands. Yeah, I just gave all the, the feelers opportunities to raise their hands in church. They're like, yes, amen. I guess I'm a feeler. Um, you know, as I get older, I've been thinking a lot about this because I don't know if it's that cut and dry. I don't know if you can really separate how you make decisions because I think partially some of us err towards what we're, what we're thinking or we, we, we maybe feel something and so we're going to run with it. But it, we can't separate those things. Those things are very connected. That's how God has, has made us. He has given us a mind to think and to logic and a heart to feel and have emotion. And I think that's an is, interesting question to ponder as we look at the armor of God. And so we are finishing up, wrapping up our series in the book of Ephesians. We took all of 2022 and have journeyed through the book of Ephesians, and now we are, are wrapping things up, and we're, we're looking at what the Apostle Paul is writing to this young church. So he's writing to this young church in prison. So he's sitting there, and he's, he's thinking about how he wants to uh, share some final words with the church and this letter wouldn't have just gone to the Ephesians, that this letter would have started getting circulated throughout the region, and the church would have been encouraged by this. And he's sitting here wrapping up all of the thoughts that he has given us to know that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so he is trying to help them understand and wrap their minds around the fact that they are in a battle, they are in a war, that the enemy is hard after them, and so God has given them his armor to protect them. Look at this with me. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. He's encouraging them, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. At this point, Paul would have been feeling that, sitting in prison, he would have been unjustly beaten numerous times. He would have been in prison numerous times. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. And so there is an enemy, and that enemy is trying to take us out. But God gives us his armor to protect us. 
So today we are looking at, in verse 14b, we are looking at the breastplate of righteousness. And verse 17a, we are looking at, at the helmet of salvation. So the helmet, what does a helmet protect? Our head. This is the participation part of the service. <laughs> the helmet protects our And the breastplate protects our So the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. The enemy is after what you think and what you feel. A good buddy of mine said he's after our perceptions, what we perceive in our affections. And in verse 16, there's something very interesting that we just heard Ashley read. Look at it. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Where do you think the enemy is shooting flaming darts? Oh, in the Greek, we see this word arrows, these flaming arrows. Where are they being shot at? At your head and at your heart. It's interesting because in hunting, uh, bows and arrows are used to kill whatever the prey is. And I've never been hunting. Um, if you want to make best friends with your pastor, invite me hunting. Um, don't tell that to my youngest daughter because she's an animal advocate. Um, she's an animal lover. But uh, so I hear, this is what I hear about hunting, is that when you go, you go trying to aim for the head and the heart of the animal you're going after. It's called a kill shot. That's where the hunter shoots for. But then it's interesting because he uses this term flaming arrows. And often in these battles and in these wars and in these sieges, when they're coming to a city, often these cities would have walls, kind of like our HOAs, right? They have these walls and these gates. And the enemy would come, and often the person behind the walls would have an advantage to the army that was attacking and so what the army would do is they would fire these flaming arrows over the wall to do what? To set a fire somewhere in the city to cause a distraction. So that those that are trying to defend the walls would have to start putting out the fire so that the enemy could attack in a little bit. There is a real enemy and he is out to get us. And he's either going for a kill shot or he's just trying to distract us long enough for when he wants to attack. Flaming arrows are coming. And so, we need to remember what we talked about last week. God protects us with his armor and his strength. So we see these two things, righteousness and salvation. Righteousness, salvation. Maybe Paul wasn't using a contemporary illustration to explain spiritual warfare. I want us to think about this. Paul is sitting in a prison. I don't know about you, but I've never just sat somewhere in darkness for days and days and days and days. Anybody else? Right? Not often in our culture do we just sit and meditate and think because we have to. And so he's sitting there and he's recalling all of these thoughts. 
Right? I would think that if I'm sitting in prison, I'm thinking of my four beautiful daughters and my amazing wife. I'm, I'm thinking about memories. I'm thinking about things that I learned as a child, experiences that I experienced as a child. Paul was someone who knew the word of God, the Old Testament, the prophets. He knew the Torah by heart. He memorized scripture. And, and I'm imagining he is reciting to himself these scriptures. And at some point, the prophet Isaiah came to mind. And this prophet Isaiah would have written what he wrote about 800 years before Paul's day. And so um, he's, he's sitting there and he's meditating on the words that, that, that he had learned and had ingrained within his heart and in his mind. Mind? Heart? And he starts to pen these words. And I want to read this to us because as I was studying it this week, it just blew me away. Because the prophet Isaiah talks about this warrior king that enters evil's darkness with armor and delivers his people. So if you would, would you turn to Isaiah 59? This is going to be on the screen, but we want you to see it in the word of God in front of you. Isaiah 59 is about halfway in the middle of the Bible. I'm going to start in verse 2. But your iniquities, so he's talking about those who were uh, the people of God, the, the chosen ones, the Israelites. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. What are we seeing in this? Well, one, that our sin separates us from God. That's what we see right in the beginning. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Sin separates us from God. You are guilty. You are wicked. Isn't that why you came to church this morning? Correct? To hear that you're wicked, that you're terrible. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing when you're putting on your pants this morning, right, you're thinking, man, I hope Bill just tells me how bad I am. Um, Paul writes another letter to another church, Philippians 3, 8, and 9, we do not have a righteousness of our own. Not even when we try to follow the law. And since we are not righteous, what do we need? We need to be saved. Since we are not righteous and our hands are stained with blood, we are guilty before the Holy One that created all things. We need to be saved. But from what? We see in 1 Thessalonians, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. That word delivers is saves. He saves us from the wrath to come. But whose wrath? Moms, dads, when, when we do something wrong, when we sin, their wrath. Our spouse, when they catch us in a lie or doing something we shouldn't be doing. Our boss, their wrath. No, actually, it's God's wrath. Wait, wait, hold on a second, hold on a second. God is love, God is mercy, God is grace. Like wrath, we don't speak about that. Hold on a second though. Love, mercy, grace, they would be worthless without justice. Why do I say that? Well, 
We need salvation because we are lost and separated. We need righteousness to overcome that separation, but we cannot obtain that righteousness on our own. But there's good news here. Look at verse 15. Isaiah 59, 15. The Lord, the one who's declaring this, saw this and it displeased him. He saw that our sins separated us from him. He saw our brokenness and our helplessness and our hopelessness. And he was amazed to see that no one intervened to help. So he himself stepped in. Don't miss that, please. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm. And his justice sustained him. His desire to uphold righteousness, his desire to uphold holiness, his justice is what sustained him in coming to save those that were broken and lost and helpless and hopeless. So he put on righteousness as his body armor and he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. The God of all things, the one who spoke life into being, the one who formed you in your mother's womb, dressed for battle, knowing he was going to give up his life so that you no longer will be guilty. So you will no longer be helpless, broken, hopeless, lost. I was hopeless. I was helpless. I was separated. I had guilt-stained hands, but God stepped in. I don't, I don't know if we're wrapping our mind around this because this is not just a message for those that are unsaved. I mean, we get more passion in our bellies when a guy takes a pigskin and crosses a, 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 a football line. The fact that God stepped in, we can't even begin to wrap our minds around what this looks like. Like, I want you to think, it, down here uh, in Florida, for some of you northerners, uh, I don't know what this is like up where you live, but... Often, there are some people that are homeless that will sit on the corners and they'll pedal. And so what you'll do is you'll pull up and they'll, they'll ask for either money or food or work. And so what we try to do often is search around and find something to give them, whether it's some food we had in the car or some change. But have you ever considered swapping places with them? Like, have you ever considered getting out of your car, handing them your keys, saying, my house is at this address, my stuff, this is the, this, this is the number to my safe, like, here's my bank account information, here's all of my stuff, you take it, and I'm going to become homeless and let you live my life. That's what God did. Have you ever 
had to visit somebody in the hospital with a terminal illness that you knew was nearing the ends of their days? Have you ever thought about trading places with them? Like saying to them, hey, that terminal illness, that suffering, let me take that and, and you take my health and my youth. That's what God did for you and for me. He didn't just just do something like extra, like he had some extra stuff on the side, and so he just kind of threw that our way. He stepped out of eternity. He had a perfect relationship with God the Father, God the Son, heavenly angels and beings are worshiping him day in and day out for all of eternity, and he stepped out of that wrapped himself in flesh so that he could be a baby that needed every single thing done for him to grow up and be disliked, rejected, hated, and then murdered on a cross for you. And then we try to say, yeah, but I'm a good person. What? This isn't a morality game here. Like, if, I, if we were to average our goodness across the landscape of, like, what is it, almost 8 billion people in the world, I'd say most of us would be in the 30s, 40s, and 50 percentile. We're not earning this thing. This isn't just a message for, for those that are unsaved. Christians, believers... This is why we came here this morning. This is why we came to worship. We came to worship a God who saved us from our guilt-stained hands. That's why we sing. That's why we clap. That's why we raise our hands like little babies that are raising their hands to their dad going, pick me up, because I can't do it on my own. But because we live in an entitled society, we think, yeah, but, you know, I actually gave over 10% this year. You know, I actually did these things or... You can't do anything to make God love you more. You also can't do anything to make God love you less. For those of us that are sitting here in this room today and think, well, I'm going to earn this, you can't. But there are those in this room today that are thinking, I don't deserve this. And I want you to know that's the whole reason why God came. He came because of your guilt, because of your shame, because of your mess-ups. God stepped in. So Paul writes, Put on his breastplate of righteousness and take his helmet of salvation. Why? Because he knows the enemy is coming after you. Satan wants you to join his rebellion against God. So, where does he attack? Our head and our heart. What we think and what we feel our affections, and our perceptions. But I love what Isaiah says to wrap up 
in verse 20. The Redeemer will come to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. The Redeemer will come for those that repent of their sins. For those that don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, this is where we say, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry for everything that I have done. And in that repentance, we turn away from what we've been doing and we pursue God as our number one, as our all in all. For those that are believers, we have sinned too. We are not sinless. And we have things that quench the spirit in our lives. And so we repent, we turn from those things and we receive the fullness of what God has because when he died, he said it is finished. So I want you to think about this for a moment. We're gonna come and we're gonna come to these tables and these tables are beautiful because Jesus set this up for us. He, he's sitting with his disciples one of which he knew was going to be the reason why he got murdered. Ones that doubted him, ones that weren't the best of people. Like, he didn't find the cream of the crop. Like, he just found normal guys. And he took this bread that they would have sitting at the table in their meal, and he broke it. He started passing it around the table. But then he said, do this in remembrance of me. I don't know about you, when I go to Carabas, I eat a lot of bread. But do I eat that bread in remembrance of him? Do I take, that's one of the reasons why in the Christian faith we pray before we eat. Not just because it's a ritual, but because we want to remember what he has done for us. That he stepped into our brokenness and was broken himself. And so, he broke it and he passed it and he said, when you eat, do this in remembrance of me. And then, and then he took this cup that would have been dark red and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. My righteousness, my holiness that now will cover you. Do this in remembrance of me. So there's two questions that I want us to think about and you should have gotten a card when you walked in, there's a card and a pen. If you didn't get a card and a pen, there are some ushers in the back. Um, so if you want to either go find them or just slip your hand up, um, are they ready with those? Back there, yeah, Joe's ready. So if you just need one, just slip your hand up. He'll try to find you. Um, and Joe, there's some over there right next to you. There you go. Um, I want you to think about these two questions. Where is the enemy aiming his arrow for a kill shot? We all have areas in our lives that we know the devil could use to take us out. So write it down. And the second is, where is the enemy aiming to distract you? What are the things in your life that can cause a distraction to where the enemy is going to come attack later? Some of these things, most of these things will be sin. They'll be things that we need to repent of. Some of these things are sin, but they kind of play themselves out a little differently where it's more of a, an idolatry of something that you don't want to be an idol, but it becomes an idol. It could be kids. It could be a spouse. People who we're supposed to love, they're not a bad thing, 
but maybe they've just become something that has consumed all of our thoughts and affections and ideas and identity. So whatever it may be, where is the devil gonna try to deliver a kill shot and where is he trying to distract you? Then as we come forward and take the bread and we dip it in the juice, we also have these little packets for those that are gluten-free. There's a wafer on the top and some juice on the bottom. Um, When we take this communion, you just leave those on the table. Here's the idea behind this. In the book of Hebrews, God says that he has a throne of grace and that because of what Jesus did with his life, death, and resurrection, we can come before his throne of grace with confidence, not because we deserve it, but because of what he did on our behalf. He imputed his righteousness on us. He gave us salvation. He placed that helmet of salvation on our head. He put on that breastplate of righteousness. So we come with confidence before his throne of grace. And we leave that which distracts us and the sins that so easily entangle us and we receive his salvation. We receive his righteousness. I want to read this quote to you because I feel like this sums up this passage. It's going to be on the screen. When we fail to put on the armor, we get busy with our own pursuits. And when the struggle sneaks up on us, we try to fight in our own strength. We step out from under our Lord's strength and are overcome by temptation. So we lie instead of speaking truth. We harbor bitterness instead of forgiving. We slander instead of pursuing peace. We justify sin instead of repenting of it. We indulge in our lust instead of loving God. We grieve the spirit and sap our joy. When these fiery darts strike us, we are left wounded and whirled. Wearied. There you go. Our spiritual strength is sapped. Desire for prayer dissipates. Singing is silenced. Shame is stoked. Fellowship is avoided. And our taste for temptation increases. Isaiah 59, 21. This is my covenant with them, my spirit, who is on you, just like this armor that he has placed on us. He will not depart from you from this time and forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for placing a helmet of salvation on our heads and a breastplate of righteousness over our chests. There is no one righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of your glory. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which you have loved us, gave us your son, Jesus, to live a life that we couldn't live, to die a death that we could not overcome and to be raised again from the dead 
so that we could be saved. By grace, through faith, we have been saved. So even though the mountains may crumble into the depths of the sea, even though the waters rage and war, you call us and invite us to be silent and know that you are God, that you have not left us in our brokenness, in our shame, in our guilt, in our distraction, but you stepped in and gave us your salvation and gave us your righteousness. Thank you, Lord. We come to these tables in repentance and we walk away fully receiving the forgiveness that you have given us. For this is in your name that we pray. Amen.